hello and welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad that you are joining us at the start of a brand new teaching series called Relationship Spheres. You know, we all exist in these spheres of relationships, whether it's your, your workplace, maybe your family, your network of friends, your neighborhood. We have these spheres of relationship and we assume often that these relationships are by chance. We say things like, I can't believe I, I moved in next to you, or, or man, we just happened to work together, or this is just the family I was born into. But what if it was more than that? You know, I, I believe that, that as I've studied scripture and as I've just lived life, that God has intentionally placed people in our life, that, that relationships are not just accidental. They're not just incidental. God has placed people in your life and get this, he has placed you in the lives of others. Why? Why? More often than not, Jesus chooses to reveal himself through other people. You know, this is the whole idea of the church, of the gathering. We see Jesus more clearly when we are together. So I, wanna, I want you to take a moment and consider these spheres of relationships in your life. Maybe it is your workplace or your, your close friendships, but, but think of that from close friendships to just acquaintances. What spheres exist in your life and what would it be like? What would it be like to consider how Jesus wants to reveal himself to you through those relationships? And also, what would it be like to consider how Jesus wants to use you to reveal himself to others in those relationships? That's exactly where we're going in this series. We're gonna look at marriage and family, friendships, and even our, our relationship with our enemies to really see how we can see Jesus and reflect Jesus in the relationships we find ourselves in. And so I invite you to join us for the duration of this series. But today, today we're kicking it all off with marriage. And so if you want to uh, join me, follow along with me, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 5. That's the middle of the New Testament. You can go either in an analog Bible or in an app on your phone or device if you want to follow along there. But before we begin, I want to acknowledge kind of the awkwardness of talking about marriage in a weekend message. You know, if I'm honest, I've always struggled with this whole idea of, of marriage sermons for two primary reasons. The first is pretty obvious. We're not all married. You know, I know that there's some of you listening who are teenagers or uh, adults who are single, unmarried, or, or maybe you're divorced or, or widowed, and you're wondering, what, what do you even have for me in a marriage sermon? And first, I just want to affirm you right where you are. That as we, as we look in the scriptures and as we see who Jesus is and we learn about the kingdom of God, we know that the married life is not elevated above the single life. And really, sometimes the reverse is true. That, that, that the apostle Paul talks about what you were able to do as a single person that a married person might not. And the Jesus that we read about in the gospels, he was a single man in his 30s. And I think he lived a pretty full spiritual life, if you ask me. The second reason I've kind of struggled with, with marriage sermons, marriage messages, is that stereotypes of men and of women are, are rarely, if ever, helpful. 
right? As, I, as my wife and I have gone to different uh, church services where there's been a marriage sermon or maybe it's a, a marriage seminar or marriage conference, almost with, without exception, when they talk about the typical husband and the typical wife, the description of the typical wife perfectly matches me. <laughs> and the description of the, of the typical husband almost always matches my wife. And so we've kind of tuned our ears to kind of just listen for the reverse. What can we get out of this? And so as we talk about marriage today, I just want to avoid those stereotypes altogether and, and the way all women are and the way all men act. Let's just set those aside and just talk about this subject of marriage and how men and women relate to one another. But you may be asking if there's these hurdles in talking about marriage, why are we addressing this in a Sunday message? Well, first, for many of us, marriage is the closest relationship that we will experience. It's the closest relationship. And for that reason, it's also the most difficult and challenging relationship. Second, everyone is connected to a marriage. It might be your parents. Maybe it's in that friend network that you just have friends who are married. And, it, and for all of us, it's our church community, right? There are marriages in this church community. And as a church family, we need to know how to encourage and support our married friends. So just as we will with every relationship in this series, we're going to talk about how Jesus can be revealed in the marriage relationship. And, and so to do that, I want to take us back to, uh, to the first married couple and see how this all got started. And so we're going to look at, at, at Genesis chapter 2. This is verse 18. Now, now, just to set this up, God has already created the universe, right? Created the earth, created the, the creatures of the earth. And now he's created a human called Adam. And all of this, God has said, is good or very good, except for one aspect. Check this out, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, we've discussed this before, that this word, this term helper is not subordinate. In fact, it's, it's the exact same word used for God when God comes to the aid of Israel. So if that helps you frame what we're talking about here when it comes to helper. Now, after trying to pair Adam with the different creatures and animals, trying to find, what have I already made that I could partner him with uh, to no avail? God decides to create another human. And with this, Adam is overwhelmed. This is someone just like me, as we read in verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. This is someone just like me. This is perfect. And then we have the fall. Now, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and, and we know the story, right? That, that the serpent convinced Eve, the woman, to, to eat this fruit that God said, do not eat. And Adam, who was with her the whole time, takes a bite himself, and then God confronts them. Then God comes onto the scene, he finds them, and he gives all three of them, the serpent, the woman, the man, a curse. 
And these curses is, are, are, are what kind of sets the stage, what we call the fallen world, fallen creation. This is the reality that we live in today. And, and if we were to summarize the, the, the curses that are in, in this passage, in this, uh, in this chapter of Genesis, it's what was easy will now be difficult. I'll say it again. What was easy will now be difficult. Sin has entered the world, and these are the consequences. And we read about the physical effects and, and that clash between humanity and the serpent, Satan, but there's also relational consequences, consequences in our relationship, and we see this in the curse given to Eve. In, in Genesis 3, verse 16, it says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, some translations, if you're reading another translation, might say something like, your desire will be to control your husband or your desire will be contrary to your husband. And, and to be clear, the word control or the word contrary is not in the Hebrew text. It's simply, you will desire the man and he will rule over you. And of all the curses given in Genesis 3, this one probably gets the least attention, but has devastating results. Author Timothy Keller uh, wrote, under the influence of the curse in Genesis, every human culture has found a way to interpret male headship in a way that has marginalized and oppressed women. See, we can look at ancient history and find those clear examples of how women have been oppressed or a man has ruled over them. But let's just look at recent U.S. history, examples that are, are close to us. Remember, it was only about 100 years ago that women gained the right to vote in the United States. And it took another 46 years to get the Voters' Rights Act that removed the barriers for women of color to vote as well. This is recent history. It wasn't until 1973 that women in all 50 states could serve on a jury. Think about that. Think about all the, the societal connotations of why a woman shouldn't serve on a jury. And that conversation was just 50 years ago. And until 1974, most women could not get a credit card without their husband's signature. Think of that. Some of us uh, were not just alive. Some of us were adults <laughs> at that time. And women could not get a credit card without their husband's signature. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, society, even our society, has been largely structured for men to be aggressive, to be in charge, and for women to depend on men. But what does this have to do with marriage? See, while the curse has a devastating effect on society at large, it also deeply affects our lives, our marriages, our families. So how has the curse played out in marriages? For most of history, men have, have set after the pursuit of power. This has kind of been that natural place for men. This is uh, related to their part of the curse, but it also has to do with, with this rulership over women. The assumption and the expectation is that men would do anything they can to provide for, to protect their domain which is their wife. 
And for most of history, women have had to depend on men. The desire for a husband has not been romantic in nature. It's been due to necessity, right? That men, specifically husbands, have been needed for protection, provision, for credit cards, right? That there is this dependency built into the marriage relationship that men are needed because of that position of power. But here's the deal. That's the curse. That's the fall. It's the way that things are. It is not the way that things should be. See, when Jesus arrived on the scene in the first century, this dynamic between men and women was as it has been for for most of history. Women were not considered a valid witness to give testimony. Usually it would have to be confirmed by a man, preferably their husband, to confirm that what they're testifying to actually happened. Women were viewed as property, often literally purchased for a bride price. And women could be divorced by their husband for just about any reason but the reverse was not true. Jesus though, Jesus changed everything. If you read through the gospels, you realize that every time Jesus was confronted with issues related to sex, issues related to marriage, he went above the standards of the time, recognized things as they are, but also recognized that things were not as they should be. Think about Jesus talking privately with the Samaritan woman how taboo that was in the first century. Receiving women as students and disciples, welcoming them to to listen and learn at his feet. Rescuing and forgiving the woman caught in adultery. You see, as a single man, Jesus displayed a respect and a love for women that was not just uncommon in his time, but in our time as well. So why? Was this just chivalry? Was this just showing us how to be polite? No. Everything Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection was to overcome the curse and establish a new way of life that we call the kingdom of God. But this didn't end there. See, after Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, the church was given this gift sent by Jesus called the Holy Spirit that enables us, empowers us to continue this work of overcoming the curse, establishing this new way of life called the kingdom of God, empowers us to live in a way that's contrary to the way of life, the world around us. And as people transformed by the loving presence of Jesus in our lives, we should be the most prepared to look at the world around us and say it shouldn't be this way. Something has to change. So now, now we're ready for today's text. So if you're with me in Ephesians 5, I'm going to start right at the beginning in verses 1 and 2. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I want you to notice this is a a topic sentence, a thesis, if you will, for this entire chapter. Everything that follows is going to point back to this statement, and this statement points us to Jesus. 
See, I've said Jesus changed everything. Jesus set a new standard. And if you read about relationships, not just in this chapter, but for the rest of the New Testament, you'll, you'll see things like, just as Jesus, dot, dot, dot. Or in the same way that Christ, dot, dot, dot. See, Jesus radically transformed the way that relationships work in the kingdom of God. Let's, let's jump down to Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, still connected to Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For, hus- for the husband is the head of, a wife, of, the, of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And I know, I know that for some listening, these verses have been used and abused and may bring some pretty bad memories of church or maybe in your family. And I would just ask that you just stay with me for for just a moment. Notice that before there's any mention of wives or husbands, we have a reminder of the command to submit to one another. What does that mean? It means everyone submits to everyone in the kingdom of God. It's a parallel command to, to the, the, the command to love one another that we find in John chapter 13. And because of this, because we already have this broad command, submit to one another, what follows is a clarification rather than a new and separate command. What's being said here is everyone submits to everyone. Everyone means everyone, and that includes even your husband. Right now, now for us, this may come across as harsh. Submit to your husband and everything. But for the women receiving this message, this was a duh kind of moment, right? If I, of course, I submit to my husband. If I don't, I could be divorced or, or worse. Like what would happen to me if I didn't do this? But remember verse 21. This isn't about societal or legal expectations, in this crazy upside-down kingdom, crazy upside-down way of life that Jesus has established. Everyone submits to everyone. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, just as Christ did. See, that's, that's when Paul now turns to the husbands. And this is where it gets, every, it gets interesting because he's telling them everyone means everyone, and everyone includes your wife. So in verse 25, we see, for husbands, this means, submit to one another, means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I could just hear the men reading or, or hearing this saying, now hold on, Paul. That's not how the world works. When you're talking about wives submit to your husbands, that makes sense. But love as we love our own bodies, that's not what's expected of me. It goes against the grain, right? This goes against the curse for husbands to submit. Aren't we supposed to rule? Like that's, that's, what, that's what feels right. That's the norm. But in this crazy upside down kingdom that Jesus is establishing, 
everyone submits to everyone. And that includes husbands and wives. Why? Remember, because of Jesus, out of reverence for Christ. You see, marriage before reflected the curse. Marriage in the kingdom reflects Jesus. It reflects Jesus. What's being advocated for in Ephesians 5 is a mutual submission in the church among everyone and in marriages in particular. Author Rachel Held Evans wrote in, in, in a book called uh, A Year in Biblical Womanhood. It's a book I've been exploring in this last year. It says, it is hard for us to recognize it now, but Peter and Paul were introducing the first Christian family to an entirely new community, a community that transcends the rigid hierarchy of human institutions, a community in which submission is mutual and all are free. So what does that mean? means everyone loves one another with the same sacrificial love that Jesus exemplified. And that includes husbands and wives. But, but why should we include marriages in particular? See, because while we can often accept theoretical concepts, right? Theoretical truths, maybe we can even accept them socially. Everything changes when, when we bring it home right? When we bring it into our home, when we bring it into our way of life, we might say, oh man, I'm so on board. Love one another. Submit to one another. I'm going to go do that with my friends. I'm going to go do that at work, but, but don't touch my house, <laughs> right? Don't touch my house. That, that my family's private, and we kind of like the way things are working. It, it, it works for us. The way things are, the way things are. I want you to consider the way that things are in your home, is, are they intentional choices or did you just kind of fall into them? You know, I, uh, when Haley and I got married, uh, this is 10 years ago now, I, I assumed all of the financial responsibility. And really there was no rhyme or reason for this decision. Haley made more money at the time and neither of us had ever done anything to run a home before. I think it was just my dad was a financial guy and I figured I should do the same. And, and that was actually a, a pretty bad move. I'll tell you why. While I'm pretty frugal and, and some might say stingy, I'll just say that, and, and I'm really good at saving money, putting money away, I am terrible at record keeping. I'm terrible at, at creating a real budget, right, that you can look at on paper. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a weakness of mine. And within a couple of years of me running the finances, we realized this system was really not working. See, but then we had to make this intentional choice to evaluate our strengths. Why isn't this working? Well, it's because David is doing things that don't work <laughs> for him. They're, they're things that aren't in my strengths. And Haley has strengths that could be used, but aren't being used. And so we had to, to take a hard look at what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? How can we come together to make this work? Haley is amazing at record keeping and creating a budget and, and, and keeping a, a schedule, a planner, um, a written record. And so, so we decided, man, let's let Haley create the system that we go by and let's let David look at how to, how to limit our expenses and free up some money and build that savings account. And let's work together to make the, that budget work. And that sounds nice. That sounds like a beautiful exchange, but it was hard work. Even that little minute sense of power I had <laughs> over our finances took work to just release. 
I had to let Haley into this mess that I had created in our finances and allow her to step in and take the lead in some areas uh, that, that I was weak in. And we had to figure out a new balance of responsibilities now that our time and our, and our efforts uh, were shifting. You see, the world we live in is bent towards the curse, right? So when we just let ourselves fall into uh, a way of life, when we don't really make these intentional choices, it drifts towards the curse, right? That grasping of power, that, that dependency uh, plays in. And it rarely, if ever, looks like the kingdom of God. It takes an intentional choice and the help of the Holy Spirit to live a life of mutual submission, to live a life that reflects the kingdom of God. And I recognize that submitting to one another in marriage is a difficult thing. For husbands, this almost always means giving up a level or expectation of power. It goes against the grain. Maybe it's even hard socially, right? As we relate to one another of, of, of men, your, your wife is doing that and you're doing what? And, and how, is that, how is that working? But, but fellas, have you seen how low the bar has come? <laughs> Right, I, I can't tell you how many times, even to this day, when people find out that I do most of the cooking and baking in our house, that people say, oh my gosh, your wife is a lucky woman. And I'm like, yeah, my food's good, but that's pretty much the only, the only reason, right? And how many Facebook posts, social media posts have we seen where men are praised for the monumental task of accompanying their wife to Target? <laughs> Right, the bar is set so low and we can and should and need to do so much better to reflect the love of Jesus to our wives. For wives, this is difficult because women have already been, uh, been hearing this message that you're supposed to submit, right? Submit to your husbands, but for all the wrong reasons, See, submission in marriage in the kingdom of God is not about pleasing a spouse. It's not about meeting societal expectations. It's about reflecting the love of Jesus. So let me ask you, husbands and wives, what does it look like for you to intentionally reflect the love of Jesus to your spouse? Does it mean setting aside a hobby so that your wife can, can pursue the career or the business that she's been wanting and dreaming to get into. Maybe it means reevaluating your responsibilities like Haley and I did, so that neither of you are feeling overwhelmed. Or could it mean setting a specific time where your, your husband could have time alone? <laughs> right? Or setting up specific times so that your husband can talk about what he's passionate about. What would that look like? for you. See, when we leave the curse behind and we embrace the way of the kingdom of God, this mutual submission, we remove the barriers that are keeping us from seeing Jesus in our relationships. See, when we live in this way, neither husband or wife are distracted by these expectations over them or who needs to have the final say but I understand that, that this kind of sacrificial love is, is, is kind of nerve-wracking, right? Maybe there's a fear that comes into you when we talk about this because there's no guarantee that your spouse will reciprocate that love. 
There's no guarantee that they will have that same self-sacrificial love for you. But I also understand that we follow a savior who knew exactly how humanity would respond to his self-sacrificial love. And even though he knew, chose to give himself for our benefit. As we close our, our text today, uh, starting in verse uh, 31, let's see how, how we can reflect this image of Christ when we submit to one another. It says this, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You see, when we choose to submit to one another in this way in marriage, in, in our, in our, to, to live our lives truly for the benefit of our wives, of our husbands, to show that, that in Christ two really can become one, we put the love of Jesus on display. It's this unique opportunity that we have in marriage, even though this is a difficult relationship, even though we're, we're kind of stuck together, right? Sometimes it feels like that, especially this year, right? That if we can submit to one another, man, two really can become one. And the love of Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit can impact incredible change in relationship. But some of you who are married may be listening and saying, man, this sounds great, but there's just too much pain in the way. There's too much hurt to overcome. I don't even know where to start. I hear that and I see you. And I wanna invite you to, to just join us in this conversation. Tomorrow night, we're hosting a virtual seminar on, uh, on marriage and we're really focusing on what does apology sound like? What are the various ways that we speak apology, that we hear apology, and how can we move from misunderstanding to forgiveness? It won't be a, 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 a one-time fix. It won't be uh, an answer to everything, but hopefully it starts this conversation in your marriage on what can apology really look like and how can we begin this process of forgiveness. The seminar is gonna be hosted by our, our marriage mentoring team who are an incredible group of people who are always available to come alongside you and your spouse and support your marriage. And so you can, you can find out more about that and register alcpnw.events. But I also know that some of you uh, are listening and you are not married, <laughs> right? And, and we, we addressed that at the beginning. And I wanna encourage you to live out this command in the relationships that you find yourself in. Think about those relationships that, that came to mind early on in this message. How can you start living out this command to love one another, especially in our church family, to submit to one another? Because what we've been talking about today is, is a particular passage on marriage, but a part of a larger truth, right? That in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, men and women, rich and poor, old and young, all submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you initiated this process. Lord, that you do not ask us to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Lord, that you, when you were in, a, uh, in conflict, in tension with humankind, 
chose to reveal yourself, not by lording over us, but by coming alongside us. Lord, by, by giving yourself through pain and suffering and death so that we may see more of who you truly are and that your kingdom could take root in this world. So Lord, I ask you, as we pursue this way of life, as we pursue the kingdom of God in our church family and the world around us, Lord, would your Holy Spirit empower us to submit to one another? Lord, to recognize that, that we have desires and we have dreams and we have wants and we have expectations, but in the kingdom of God, we are called to lift up the expectations, the, the desires, the, the dreams, the gifts of others. That when we see others who are in pain, others who are in need, others who you are calling into your kingdom, that we are to come alongside them, even if it means setting aside something that we are passionate about. Lord, show us more of what selfless, sacrificial love looks like. In Jesus' name, amen.